This is Jess, and you're listening to The Pumping Podcast. This week I sat down with Mama Amy Sullivan. She is a mama of four, and let me tell you, you are in for a journey. Her story is unbelievable, and I don't know how she made it through. I'm, I'm truly blown away. After the recording, I was thinking about editing this episode, and I was thinking, oh, you know, maybe I can chop it up here and there so that it's a little bit more concise. And then I thought, no, my mamas and future mamas need to hear the real story, the real challenges, and the real grit that this mom overcame because the amount of lessons that I learned from Amy was just, oh man, it it warmed my heart. It's really unbelievable. I also just want to give you a little bit of a heads up that this episode could be triggering for some people. She brings us through a miscarriage that she had and then four pregnancies that were all in their own right, challenging and just a whirlwind. And so if that could bring up anything for you, I want you to know that before you start listening. This mama has the most vulnerability and openness that I've heard in a very long time, and I'm really grateful that she was willing to share her story with us. So without further ado, here's Amy. I am so looking forward to this conversation. This week, I am sitting down with Mama Amy Sullivan. She's a mama of four, and I'm so interested in hearing your story. Welcome, Amy. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. I think, you know, in I reached out to you. um, For those who have never heard of him, we actually connected through Tony Robbins, which is really an interesting situation. I was just telling Amy, you know, you meet people and moms for me in the craziest places and come across people. And I just ask, you want to share your story? And um, if you haven't checked out Tony Robbins, I mean, I'm a huge fan and he's definitely impacted me in a big way. But after I reached out to you and you emailed me back with this story, and it was really only the highlights of your story, but man, oh man, like, I think I messaged back, like, holy crap, I did not expect that <laughs> that detail and that type of story. But I think we're in for a real treat and, and a little bit of a hard treat. So if any moms are listening out there, um, Amy went through a lot of challenges as far as miscarriages, um, conceiving her four children, the birth of her four children, and and is still correct me if I'm wrong, but still kind of going through some damage, for lack of a better word, physically um, as a result of all of that. So I want to dive into all of that. But before we do, first of all, where are you joining us from? I don't even, I didn't even ask you. Arizona. Arizona. Uh, Yep. You're my first Arizona mama. (laughs) It's so funny. I like, I have a a group somehow. I, I, tend to go toward Illinois mamas just by chance, you know, uh, (laughs) New York mamas, because I'm here. It's but you're my first Arizona mama. So that's wonderful. Yeah. So before we dive into your story um, and your journey into motherhood, I'd love to just hear what was life like if you can go back and remember those days before you had your first child? What, What did life look like for you? Well, um, my husband and I ran a business together. Um, we had a, a baby, um, a little over a year after we got married. So before that, it was just a lot of travel, um, and just focusing on him. So my life kind of revolved around my (laughs) husband for, for a while there. I'm sure he loved that. And then it was a big transition, right? <laughs> it was. It was a big transition. Yeah. Husbands, I'm sure, are like, what the heck? What about me? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He quickly fell into fatherhood in a fantastic way, though. He's a great daddy. So I mm. I feel like I hit the jackpot there. And so you had mentioned to me that, well, first of all, that you had a miscarriage. Was that mm-hmm. before you had your first child? No, my first child, um, the, the conception, uh, we tried for about seven, six or seven months. And then, um, the pregnancy went well. 
Um, the miscarriages that I had were after, they were in between my second and third baby. Okay. Mm-hmm. And you, I think you had mentioned to me that you had PCOS and mm-hmm. so that's one of the reasons why it was hard for you to conceive. So yes. when did you find out about that? Was it after those seven it months? Was, it was after I found out about, about the PCOS after I had my first baby. Um, my, I, a lot of things were happening with my body that I just didn't understand. Um, and it was a time of a lot of confusion for me. I had really bad postpartum depression, but that was before I knew what postpartum depression was. I'd never heard of it. The symptoms were completely foreign to me. Um, And so it was in the course of over a couple of years that my doctor and I collaborated to find out what was going on. Ultimately, I uh, ended up switching doctors and that doctor um, found out I think within this, the first or second set of labs, that PCOS is what was driving a lot of the um, symptoms that I was experiencing. Looking back on tr- the first time you were trying to conceive, would you have done any more research at that time or tried to investigate anything then? Or- yeah. Oh, yeah. If I could go back, I definitely would. I think I would get another opinion. Um, I had a family doctor that I just, Um, I was, you know, I was a young mom, I got married young. And so my first baby was born um, when I was 18. And so I just didn't have the, I don't think I had the mental fortitude to even know what questions to ask. I just assumed that the transition would be smooth. That's, you know, the exposure that I'd had to the moms that I knew, it was always such an easy journey. And so for me, it was completely, completely new. So yeah, absolutely. If I could go back, I would definitely investigate more about my personal health and what was happening with me and do some more preparation. So take us through that first pregnancy and then birthing experience. What was that like for you, especially as an 18 year old? I'm sure it was right. quite impactful. It was. So, um, so I graduated high school when I was 16. Um, like I said, I got married young. Um, my dad was in ill health and I wanted him to be a part of my wedding journey. And so, um, we, uh, we got married young, um, and I was really excited to jump into to motherhood. I wanted a baby right away. Were you and your husband high school sweethearts? Yes. Oh, yeah. Wow. And so we, so I, I was just really looking forward to uh, becoming a mom. I don't, it it was a dream of mine. I, I didn't think much about it other than I'm married and now let's have a baby. That's the next step. So, uh, definitely youthful, definitely, um, uh, maybe a little naive. (laughs) Very, I, I would say very, very naive. I'd have a lot to share with my younger self if I could go back. Um, like I said, we tried for six or seven months. We got pregnant. Um, and the, our, in our mindset, we wanted to have a home birth. We wanted an all natural. I didn't want medications. And so I had a midwife who helped me through the first portion of the pregnancy. And it was pretty smooth sailing. There wasn't much, it was pretty uneventful. In the last trimester, I'd say probably around month seven, I really struggled to walk. I was starting to have a lot of um, pressure on my hip. And so um, there was some pain there. So I started to uh, concern the midwife somewhat. She was a little bit worried. So she recommended that I, I see somebody. And then, of course, like I said, I went back to my family doctor. His wife was a nurse practitioner and midwife. And so um, I, I ended up switching midwives to my family physician's wife, and she expressed some concern about maybe my pelvis being a little small, but it was very mentioned in passing. She didn't, you know, I didn't think much of it. She didn't seem concerned, so I didn't, I didn't seem concerned. And then I actually had a dream before 
it was about a month before my baby was born. And I was just really impressed that if I had her at home, she would die. And I, so I just started to feel really anxious about it. And so we changed our plans really last minute. We had her at the hospital um, and the labor just went south. Um, I had a fail, ultimately a failure to progress. Um, I kept begging them to give me more time. Um, ultimately it resulted in, um, you know, I, I wasn't staying conscious. And so they did an emergency C-section. Um, and yeah, it, it, my, my doctor told me, um, well, the, the doctor that ended up doing the surgery, he said, you know, if you would have had your baby at home, she wouldn't have made it, you know, by the time, cause it's 40 minutes from where we live to the nearest yeah. hospital. And so I was really, you know, so intuition became something that I really learned to rely on as a mother, you know, right from the, mm -hmm. right from the beginning of my motherhood journey. Yeah. And like, I hear this with so many moms, you know, it's so important and necessary and healthy to come up with an ideal plan, know what those things uh -huh. are, communicate that with your midwife or doula or, or birthing partner uh -huh. and all of the above. But then to remember that and connect to that instinct of, you know, if something's not quite right, that plan might have to change and yeah. adjust and, and that's for the better. Yeah. Ultimately. I mean, thank goodness you followed Definitely. that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's so important to have that flexible mindset that, you know, um, I really struggled after I had, after I had my baby, I felt like a huge failure. Um, because we ended, I ended up having every medication they could offer exactly. <laughs> in an effort to basically have her. Um, I had, um, and then it resulted in a C-section and I don't know if it was because of the sudden stress that was on my body. Um, but I wasn't able to produce, uh, I wasn't able to lactate. And so I pumped and pumped for three months. Just, I felt like I was connected to that pump for three straight months and I could never get more than two ounces in a, in a pumping session. And so I finally just gave up and gave her bottles and, um, you know, the circles, like I said, the mothers, the mothers that I was exposed to were all very natural and everything was just, you know, mm -hmm. and so I, I had, I experienced some criticism too for not breastfeeding her. And so it was very much, um, a complete change to everything I'd ever known before that. It was very hard for me to come to a place of acceptance that that was how it went and that it was beautiful in itself. Um, and so it, um, when I finally came to that, it, I was able to, to make peace with it, but I had to change my mindset a lot on what my prior expectations had been. Thank you for being so vulnerable with that. I think it's really important for other women to hear. And, you know, that's one of the main reasons why I started this podcast. And I, I hope to reach out and connect, especially with mm -hmm. future mamas, yeah. mamas to be pregnant mamas, mm -hmm. or people like me who would like to become a mama in the future, but right. it's not possible at the moment, you know, because I think it's important to, to hear these stories and know these stories and know that, of course, I pray that everybody has smooth, easy transition, but it's not always what it may look like. Yeah. And that's okay, you know, and there are others like you who have experienced that. So, right. so you're not alone in that. And especially, my gosh, thinking, I mean, now for you to speak that way is, you know, it seems very, very um, expected is not the word, but it seems very typical and appropriate. But thinking about you at 18 at that time, going through that and how you must feel uh -huh. and the criticism when it's like, you don't even really know who you are. No. At least I didn't. No, I was definitely still discovering that. Um, I think that, you know, I was always ahead of my age group. Um, all of, you know, everyone I knew, all of my friends were older than me. So it wasn't, so I think that I was naive. I think that I thought that I knew everything. I thought that I had it all worked out and it was all, you know, so very, very innocence driven. You know, I didn't, I didn't know that, well, I just didn't have a, a bigger picture of the world yet. And so 
um, in retrospect, if I could do things different, I would, I would definitely get some more education about my body and, you know, specifically hormonally. Um, but also, um, I would get some education about pregnancy and not just pregnancy. Cause I did a lot of research about pregnancy itself when we were trying to get pregnant, but, but beyond pregnancy. So what, what it does to your body, how it changes you and, and things that you can expect. So like I said, I had no idea at all what postpartum depression was. And so when I was experiencing it, um, I was very... You thought you were just crazy. <laughs> I, I absolutely did. I absolutely was scared to tell anybody. I didn't tell a single person what I was going through, what was happening in my mind and things like that. And I'm, I've always been a sunny person. I've always just, I'm really good at putting a smile on my face. Nobody knows when I'm hurting. And that's, that's just, I don't know if it's a gift or a curse or not, but, but basically I'm just <laughs> great at just, you know, putting up that strong front. And so to the outside perspective, you know, everyone was like, you're amazing. You know, my doctors, 18 year old girl, you're amazing. Everybody just told me how amazing I was. And I, I just had it in my head. Well, if I, if I admitted what I'm experiencing, they'll, you know, I, I just had it in my head that they'll come, like my husband will take my baby and leave me. Or I was just scared to tell anybody. I didn't know it was a thing, you know, and it was, my thoughts have always been, you know, my thoughts have always been very sunny and positive. And so when I was going through, through the postpartum depression, then the, well, the depression, the depressive thoughts and feelings were foreign to me. I'd never experienced those lows. And so it was a real adjust adjustment. That first year was really difficult. And then your journey just continued to get more and more challenging. And with your second and third child, you had a VBAC. Yeah. So what were those journeys like? Were they pretty similar? Um, they were they were definitely challenging, but so rewarding. I wanted a baby actually oddly right away after I had my first. Um, you know, within six months. And so my husband and I talked about it. And so it was, it was on in our radar and we decided to kind of put it in God's hands and just, we'll see, we'll see what happens. So we didn't use any contraception, but we weren't necessarily actively trying either. It was just kind of, let's just see what happens. But after um, about two to three years, I was starting to feel really anxious because I was wanting a baby and nothing was happening. So that's when I switched doctors. I found an OBGYN that I really respect. And he, like I said, discovered the PCOS and started me on metformin. And within, within si probably two months, six or eight weeks, I was pregnant with my son. And so the metformin made a huge a huge difference for me, just that, that's, you know, which I understand now with PCOS, that insulin sensitive factor, you know, that just really made the difference. And his pregnancy, again, was really, or I should say my pregnancy with him was really, um, again, uneventful. I didn't, you know, the pregnancy was, um, pretty smooth. I didn't have any hiccups. It was, you know, pretty uneventful. I went into labor, um, my water broke and, you know, I, my body went into labor. It was really, um, we had a plan. Um, the area that I live in is fairly rural. And so the hospital that I had had my daughter at didn't do, didn't offer VBACs. They didn't have the personnel available. And so they sent me down to the Phoenix metropolitan area. And that is where I had my son. So when my water broke, we just headed down to what we call the Valley. And, um, it's about a three and a half hour drive from here. And so I just labored on the way down. Um, we had, uh, we got a hotel for the night because I had had, a um, an appointment for the following morning. So I was just going to go to my appointment and then go check, get checked in. And with how long the labor was with my daughter, I assumed I had plenty of time. Um, but, you know, 
pain happens. And then there was, you know, because my water had broken, there was drainage. And so my husband and I just decided, well, let's head over. The team there was not encouraging of a VBAC. They reviewed my history. They didn't like the way that it looked. In no uncertain terms, it was clear that I was being an inconvenience by holding up an operating room because they have to have one on standby in case the VBAC fails. Um, but I had a great nurse. That labor nurse, I, you know, she, in my, in my mind, served as a guardian angel for me. She was very encouraging. She said, you know what, as long as the baby's heartbeat full and strong, they cannot force you to do a C-section. And so she was in there, gosh, easily every 15, 20 minutes. She helped me move into all these different positions. Everything went very well. It was a long labor. Um, I checked in to the hospital that night around, or it was a Sunday night around hmm, probably seven o'clock. And then I had my son just after uh, shift change at 607 because she wouldn't leave. So there was some hoopla around the the nurses because the other nurse tried to come in and just help help me because I, at that point I was having the baby, but uh, her name was Jill. Jill just was like, no, I'm helping this. I'm, you know, we had bonded. It was really beautiful. And so it was really difficult. Um, I hemorrhaged after he was born, but the feeling of that slimy little baby boy being put right on me. It was the <laughs> best feeling ever. And, you know, when we were going through the Tony Robbins thing and he thinks, and, and we're, we're to think about that moment of gratitude that just lifts us instantly. It is that moment mm -hmm. for me through the euphoria. You know, I, I could hear some splashing and I also, it came to an awareness that the doctor was still down south and I was like well, <laughs> something's going on you know it was kind of a why are why are you still there we're done you know kind of a thing but it actually ended up being a blessing that it was a shift change because the woman that had been assigned to me or whatever throughout that day was just every every hour you know we need to just go take you into a c-section she was anxious for it to be over I think but this doctor he came in and he was just calm as could be and and so it was fantastic it was a beautiful, beautiful experience with having my son. Yeah, I was, I was sore just in places <laughs> I didn't know with muscles. I didn't know I had like the next day, the next day I, my face hurt, like every part of my body hurt. And it was just like, this is so, it was such a strange experience, but it yeah. was beautiful. I mean, that little boy, you know. Uh, it was the best thing. Mm, and something you hadn't experienced the first time around too. Right. So I bet. It was, right. You know. mm -hmm. And just quickly touching on this, did you experience postpartum equally? Not at all. I did somewhat. I had, yeah, I had baby blues, you know, I was kind of weepy for a few days after which my doctor encouraged me was fatigue. So he said, you know, when you, when you get weepy, have somebody watch the baby and take a nap. That was huge. I wish somebody would have told me that with my first baby, you know, just mm. the blessing and the benefit that sleep can be. Um, and so when I noticed yes. myself take a dip and I just was weepy and, um, you know, just those bluesy feelings, um, my husband would take, uh, my son and I would take a nap for an hour or two usually an hour, because then I'd need to get up and feed him. But <laughs> then I would feel, you know, I'd feel human again when I woke up, you know, so it was definitely the blues were there, but they were so muted and mild compared to what I'd experienced with my daughter. And then with your third, how long that was another VBAC, correct? It was, yeah. And how long after your son was your third she born. she was just over four years about four and a half years she um and it was in between that time that I had several miscarriages I was uh I had gone through an experience like I did P90X yep. I'm doing that right now <laughs> I just loved P90X that became like my me time um I got really fit um, I had made health my priority. My PCOS symptoms 
were almost non-existent. I had gotten myself down to a really healthy weight um, and I, and was really fit and strong. And so I kind of expected pregnancy at any, any month. Like I just felt like I I've done my work and I'm ready. I started to have, well, there was a, a couple months in a row that I had a late period and then the period was strange, but I never confirmed whether those were early miscarriages or not. Um, but then I got pregnant. We were really excited. Um, we did the preliminary tests. Everything was perfect. Blood sugar, blood pressure, all of my labs, everything was perfect. And again, that mother's intuition, something deep down in my heart said that something was wrong. And I just wasn't going to listen to that because I was like, well, I'm healthy and we have all of this evidence that everything is great. But there was a disconnect with my other pregnancies. I had felt like I had felt a connection. You know, I could feel another intelligence. I could feel another being. I wasn't feeling that feeling. I wasn't feeling like there was no feedback on the other end of the line. I wasn't feeling communication coming back to me, love coming back to me. Um, I told my husband at one point, I said, I feel really scared because I, you know, I said, I, I'm worried because I'm not feeling a connection to this child. And I'm scared about that because I felt like, again, I felt like it was something in me. Like maybe, maybe I was, maybe I, you know, who knows? I just started to internalize that somewhat. Um, we had an ultrasound. I saw the baby's heartbeat. Again, everything, my doctor kept saying, everything's fine. I, um, but I couldn't shake that feeling. It was, it was, it nagged me. Um, but because, because we couldn't quite get a, an accurate measurement, um, uh, the doctor wanted me to come back a month later and do um, another ultrasound. And so I did. And when we went back in for the ultrasound, um, they couldn't find the heartbeat. Uh, the chest cavity was just dark. And so my doctor came in and he started speaking softly to me. And I got upset because it was like, the baby's right there, you know? And so, you know, just find it, you know, there's the, there's the chest, just find it. You know, it was, there was such, it, I've never experienced the level of shock that my system went through because I had spent, you know, that time ignoring that weird feeling and everything's going to be fine. I was sending love to the baby. I was talking to it and, and just loving it and doing all the things I should do. But I had a really, really hard time with that. It's something that still makes my heart really heavy. I think the only way that we can sort of settle with that is with the assumption that there was a reason why you felt that disconnect yeah. from the beginning. And there was a reason that this child maybe he or she would have been sick in some way that you yes. know, could have damaged their future and their life or, or made it uh -huh. so challenging for them to successfully thrive. And I think that's the only way that I could think that you can settle with those emotions. You're exactly right. It was, it, there was a lot of time in prayer for me um, to come to terms with that. And it was just nature knows, God knows. You know, um, our bodies are extremely intelligent, I believe, to a level that we just don't know. That female sense that we have just knew. Following that, I just went back into my fitness routine. Um, and about six months later, I started to feel really tired during my, my exercises. I started to experience some pain unexplainable pain, muscle aches and things like that. And then my hair started to fall out. My hair started to fall out actually immediately at the time of the miscarriage, but it never stopped. It just continued to fall out. And um, that was really concerning to me because I've always kind of identified with my hair. And so, and I've always had long hair. And so my sister's a hairstylist. And so she, she said, well, let me cut it, you know? And finally, I let her cut it. 
and we just went shorter and we kept going shorter and shorter and finally I ended up with a pixie cut and <laughs> you know trying to manage this this strange hair loss and I I asked my doctor about it we ran some tests um we attributed it to maybe some shock from the miscarriage still or something like that um and so nothing was really obvious on the tests and then um one day I was in the middle of a P90X routine and I just crashed. I just crashed and I just was like, well, maybe I'm tired. You know, I was, I was working a lot of hours during that summer. Um, but my health just continued to decline. Ultimately, um, long story short, I discovered that my pancreas had failed and I was, I had no beta cell activity and they diagnosed me with type one type one diabetes with um in an emergency diagnosis and so i believe that um you know during that time i didn't have a confirmation but um i'm because of the miscarriage that i'd been through i'm i'm sure that i had another miscarriage during that time um earlier than three months but i I experienced that and, and there was just a disconnect, but like I said, I just, I wasn't, I wasn't well, but when we started insulin within three months of starting insulin, I was pregnant. Oh, wow. And so my doctor said it was again, that insulin factor. So I don't know what the connection is in my body with PCOS and type one diabetes, but there's gotta be something there. The belief is that that miscarriage that I went through probably prompted some breakdown somewhere, um, you know, activated a gene or something like that. And so um, my third baby ended up being a really good experience because I was a new type one diabetic. I didn't know how to do the whole insulin thing and management, and it was all very overwhelming. But because I went right into a pregnancy, they, they put me up with this team that taught me all the things. And so I got a really good foundation for control and for management because of that, um, because of that education that I got during that pregnancy. And I was still able to do a VBAC. My husband and I stayed in a hotel for about 10 days. We'd never experienced that with the other babies. And so we got kind of this little baby moon, you know, we got some time together. Yeah. You know, my other two babies were being watched by my sister-in-law and my mom. And so it was just really great to have some time together with him. And we were just, we had that unity and that, that feeling of togetherness that was wonderful. I would recommend that any mom, if they have that opportunity to just spend some one-on-one -on -one time, it's good for, it was so good for me. It was so good for him. And so we just went into that labor, you know, in a really grounded place. Mm, especially after all that you had gone through prior. It was beautiful. It, you know, we did end up going in and being induced. So I went in at about like two 30 in the morning um, and they got things started. I had an epidural again, it just in, in and out, no issues. That labor was very erratic. My contractions were not normal. They were all over the place, but I was progressing. And so the, the, you know, the nurse was like, well, just let your body do its thing. My body, it was very strange. Some of them were intense. Some of them were, I could barely feel them. Um, and it was just here and there, you know, sometimes three minutes apart, sometimes you know, 45 seconds apart. It was just very like whatever my body wanted to do, but, <laughs> but everything was beautiful. Um, the, the pushing experience with her was beautiful. I had a fantastic delivery doctor. She was amazing. She was just in, you know, my husband to this day says, if we, if we ever have more kids, we're going to go find her. She was amazing. Um, I did hemorrhage again with, with her and the, the doctor did the stitches, but she, you know, I don't know if this is TMI, but most likely you have. Not on the pumping podcast. <laughs> we talk about everything. <laughs> but she, um, I felt pretty after that down there. You know, I felt kind of ruined with the first yeah. two, 
and I had male doctors with the first two, but after, you know, the, the delivery doctor with the third, the way that she did the stitches or whatever, I mean, I felt like a virgin again, honestly, the way that Mm -hmm. I healed up after that, like, I just felt new and fresh and just loved myself. That's so beautiful to hear. I love that. Yeah. So I did experience postpartum depression again with her. Um, and I just, I just took things easy and I just really took my time getting back into things. Um, and when I needed help, I would call a friend and I learned with my third child who to call and who not to call, (laughs) because when you're feeling blue and you're feeling those feelings of postpartum depression and that vulnerability and just that rawness. And then you kind of reach out for help and you say, Hey, I need to not be alone right now. Can you come hang out with me? And then if there's any sense of shame cast on you or projected onto you, that can cause just that shutdown. Like, Oh, I shouldn't reach out. I shouldn't, I shouldn't tell anybody. And, and I learned in, at, you know, with my third baby, I learned that there were a couple people in my circle that I ought not to call in when I'm feeling raw like that. And so that would be something that, that I would, that I, and I, I would and do and have told moms is ask for help, but ask the right people, ask the right people. If you feel shamed from somebody, don't ask that person again, mm-hmm. you know, and sometimes the people we think should be there for us just can't be, they're just not able to be. And, um, and that's okay because there always is somebody that can be. And if somebody's ever in a situation where they don't have anybody, hop on Facebook, find a podcast, find find a tribe yeah. because that's that's so important. And it was after my third child, probably, you know, some maturity right. was finally starting to happen with me. But I I would, you know, I learned to surround myself with people that built me up. That's a perfect opportunity to mention, which I don't even know if I've mentioned to you yet, but the pumping podcast slash me has started um, a mama network. It's on a platform. Yeah, it's on a platform called Mighty Networks and it's called Mighty Mamas. And so if any moms are listening, you can actually check out right in the show notes. You can click the link and join. And it's basically a better version of a Facebook mama group. Um, we're not Facebook. There's no ads. There's no negativity. There's no publicity. There's, it's just purely a place for moms and future moms to get together, to ask questions, to get support and connect. And, um, it's really highly monitored by myself. And if there's ever going to be some sort of shame or judgment or question, those, those people won't be welcome. But, um, if, if you don't find yourself in a place where you have someone for those kind of connections, Go there and join us because my intention is to keep that a safe place for for all moms. So I welcome you to join Amy and anyone else out there listening. Absolutely. I appreciate that. And I I I can't express it enough. Please do surround yourself by women that you can be vulnerable with because it's my belief that women need to build each other up and there can sometimes be that middle school energy that comes up that's you know very and then we're just back in that 13 year old space of feeling picked on Mm. and that is not healthy when you're when you're physically low and emotionally low right after having a baby and so yes please surround yourself with healthy supportive women mamas i just wanted to take a quick moment to recognize one of my sponsors hypno babies hypno babies is birth hypnosis how to enjoy your baby's birth in comfort, joy, and love. If you're a soon-to-be mama or know a soon-to-be mama, check out the link in the show notes for Hypno Babies. There's a home study course, there's MP3 tracks, and there's also a few non-birthing tracks as well. How to stop smoking, how to help your toddler sleep, and many, many more. Check out Hypno Babies in the show notes for a 20% off discount, and make sure you use the code PUMPINGPODCAST for a 20% off discount. For more info about Hypno Babies, you can go back and listen to episode 7, where I interviewed the founder and CEO, Carrie Tushoff. She was gracious enough to give my listeners a private code for 20% off. So make sure you use that code pumping podcast. Go check out hypno babies in the show notes. 
Now back to the show. The only other thing I'll say to tag on to that is, you know, I've even found not as a mother yet, but just as a woman and a person growing up and and living my life as an adult now, there are certain friends that I, all of my friends are amazing, but there are certain friends that I call for certain things, you know, there's certain people that can handle certain issues or struggles or challenges that you're going through. And it doesn't mean that they are any less of a friend or that they're, you know, not committed to you as much. It's just what everybody can handle. And some people are deeper or more open to certain things than other people. Some people just want to lift you up and that's about it. Other people really want to go through the shit with you, you know? And so I think that goes for anybody, but especially women who are moms or have become moms or are going to be moms, they need that extra, extra support. Absolutely. Absolutely. And in, you know, one of the things that I think is fantastic for preparing to be a mom is just working on that give receive cycle, just opening that those channels so that there is so, so that you're not always, cause we women really are you, you know, it's natural for us to go in and be out of balance on the giving mm-hmm. end and we give and we get, and when we're not accustomed to receiving then, and then we're already, ex- you know, and then you go through all these changes in your body, your hormones, and then you have the baby. So you're physically low because your energy reserves are gone. And then you're just feeling, you know, then you feel guilty because you're not used to receiving, you're not, you know, those channels aren't open. Mm -hmm. And so just, just having that cycle be an open and fluid thing of, of giving, but also receiving. And, you know, before having a baby that can look like receiving compliments, receiving love from friends, going out with friends, um, receiving help, asking for help, get used to asking for help. Mm-hmm. That was really difficult for me. I actually had to learn that with my fourth <laughs> Just having that open, give, receive cycle and having that really healthy. It's just, then there's less of a chance of going into a place of having that postpartum depression or those baby blues exacerbated because now I, now I have to ask for help because I just I'm not enough. And it can really bring up a lot of the, I'm not enough energy. And, and that's just not true because with everything that the body is, it has done and and goes through, it's more than enough. It's just that we just need people around us to add that love and help us through that, that phase. Oh my goodness, Amy, your vulnerability and your openness in this conversation is just so, I'm so grateful for it. I, vulnerability is not something that I came into naturally. And what you are hearing from me today is after a lot of work over the last 18, 19 months. Um, My fourth baby was a surprise. Um, I honestly didn't think that because of the type one diabetes and because of um, the PCOS and just, I just honestly thought I don't, I don't really know what I thought. I think I just thought I was done naturally. I, I thought I'd be really surprised if I ever got pregnant again, but, um, she was a surprise and, you know, a delightful surprise with her. My pregnancy was very difficult. I was under, um, a lot of stress. I was going to school part-time. I was working full-time. My husband was out of work at that point. And so I was the main provider for my household during that pregnancy. You know, it it was a stressful time for our family. Even so, you know, it's it's kind of my default to, you know, kind of Pollyanna my way through life <laughs> because it's 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 just my natural default. Um, it's hard for me to just have a mindset of poor me. It was during that preg- that pregnancy again with that intuition. I had, um, I just had a really early one morning. I had an impression that I needed somebody to walk that journey with me, and that I needed to give. That it needed to not be my husband, and not that my husband wasn't walking that journey with me because he was, but I needed somebody that I could lean on heavily and that I could practice vulnerability with. And so I had three, three names come to mind 
and I called each of them. Um, I barely knew these women, but I had heard about them. Um, they, they all did a variation of therapy, either uh, energy work or some kind of therapy, all of them. So that's how I'd heard about them. And so I, I reached out to all of them and only one of them responded. And so I just decided, well, you know, if, and I told her I'm pregnant. So I, I went to her, her, and she, and I bonded. Um, I told her right up front, I need somewhere where I can share my actual real thoughts, even if they're ugly. Um, I need to be able to be real somewhere because I was going through a lot of stress. And um, so I got an accountability partner, essentially, somebody that I could talk to that could give me real life feedback that could walk that journey with me. I love that idea. And so I, um, she helped me stay on point with my intentions. She helped me stay clear. And my husband and I really, toward the end of that, toward the end of that pregnancy, there was some disconnect with communication. There was some, you know, there was some stress and some strain for sure in our relationship. There also, it also surfaced stress and strain in other relationships that I had. And, but ultimately it was all for the the better. So I had a lot come up, but at the end of the pregnancy, um, I didn't feel good. And if I could tell anybody anything, please listen to your body, you know, listen, listen, listen to your body because I did not feel good. And I just felt like I needed to be in bed all day. Um, but I, you know, I've always been a go-getter. I've always been, you know, very type A personality, kind of a workaholic almost. And, um, and so it was just foreign to me. I felt guilty if I'd sit down for, you know, a day, but I just didn't feel good. And, um, that feeling worsened. So I do accounting and I, my baby was due in January, which is the start of tax season. So I was scrambling to try to get my clients to a situation where they could take their information to, um, to a CPA that I work closely with. And she had, she had agreed to take my clients for that season and help them out. And so I was scrambling to get everybody ready and take care of everybody else. And I was taking care of my, my family. So I just had a lot going on. And, um, so I just didn't feel like I could stop. Um, my baby was breech. And so they, we decided to try a version. Do you know what a version is? No. It's basically where they, they manipulate the, the uterus from the outside to get the baby to flip. And it is painful. Oh yes. I've seen videos of that before. Yeah. It is painful. It is really painful, but I would say worth the try. Um, my baby wasn't able to turn around. They, they, they tried two more times than the standard amount, um, but she, she just wasn't able to turn around, and they didn't know exactly why. So um, they were going to send me home, and while I was in, you know, in the recovery room from the attempt of the version, um, my blood pressure wasn't coming down. So we found out that essentially I had preeclampsia and I didn't know, I mean, my blood pressure had been high for about six weeks, but I kept just telling my doctor, well, I'm stressed. You know, he'd ask me, are you feeling okay? Are you noticing this or that or the other? And I just told him, well, I feel really stressed out. You know, I've got to get my clients ready for tax season and whatnot. So basically Um, a long, you know, long story short, I, um, I ended up discovering there in the hospital that I had preeclampsia and that's why I had felt so bad. And I just had felt ill for six weeks and, um, they had asked me, you know, are you seeing flashing lights? Are you seeing this or that or the other? And I just was like, no, no. And then, (laughs) um, and then my nurse was kind of asking me just, are you noticing any of these symptoms? And finally I was like, well, I kind of sometimes see glitter when I stand up. Is that a thing? (laughs) And so she's like, (laughs) she's like, yes, that counts as flat. 
lights, you know, but it was very yeah. kaleidoscope type of glitter, you know, and that would last. And, and I just would think, well, that was strange, you know, and I just would move on. And so again, it was a disconnect. It was me pushing, pushing my body beyond the, the limitations. And, and my body was giving me signals. My body was giving me messages and I was ignoring those things because I was just trying to get to a place where I felt like I could have permission to be done. And the reality is, is at any time I could have, I, I should have listened to those feelings and given my, myself permission to rest. And so I didn't have the baby moon experience with my fourth baby. I went, I was, you know, I worked on Saturday and I worked on Monday and we went in on Tuesday morning for the version. And so I worked all the way up until she was born. And, um, the, the next day after, you know, like I said, after the failure of the version and then discovering preeclampsia, my doctor said, I'm not sending you home. You're going to have a, a C-section. There's no way that we can deliver with your blood pressure this high and with her being breech. And so the VBAC became a non, a non possibility. And, um, we, they scrambled to get me ready for the surgery. Um, the anesthesiologist, again, it was right after shift change. So the anesthesiologist that had been working with me through the version and all of that wasn't going to be the one doing the pain control during the surgery. And so I wanted to do the skin on skin after the C-section. And, um, so I wanted to be awake and the spinal did not go well. They tried to do the epidural and they tried to do the spinal. Um, it did not go well. Um, I guess in a word, I would describe it as torture. It was not pleasant. And finally, I told my doctor, I can't, I can't do it. You're going to have to put me under general. And so things were escalating and moving pretty quickly. And so he put me under general anesthesia or he, the anesthesiologist that was in there. Um, she didn't speak really strong English. Um, and so, and there was, there was a barrier, there was a communication barrier. Um, she, um, during, during the C-section, I lost a liter and a half of blood. And so they, he called for a blood transfusion. By the time the blood got, got ordered, he was able to stop the bleeding. And so I ended up not needing the transfusion. Um, but, um, after they got me stabilized into the new room and everything, um, my doctor woke me up, you know, had me say my name and describe where I was and all of that. Um, and I was very weak because of the blood loss, because of the, the experience with the surgery. And, um, but I still wanted to nurse. And so I had the blessing of having the skin on skin, but I wasn't able to breastfeed that first night. And none of them recommended it because of the blood loss. And so they, uh, so I gave her a bottle. They gave me morphine several times that night and my pain continued to escalate, but it wasn't frontal pain. It wasn't the standard C-section pain that, that is expected. And so I kept complaining about, you know, my back hurts and my head hurts. Over the next few days, I didn't eat anything. They diagnosed me with a spinal migraine or a spinal headache from uh, cerebral spinal fluid leak. And so what had happened during the surgery was she had attempted another spinal block while I was under general anesthesia. And obviously without my feedback saying that hurts, stop, um, yeah. you know, she, sp she punctured the space. And so there was a spinal fluid leak and that pain is, is the most exquisite pain that I've ever experienced or ever want to experience. I wouldn't wish that on anybody. And I had also had a lot of anxiety, almost PTSD symptoms, um, that even I was unsure of why. Um, but they, uh, they gave me something for anxiety and then they did a spinal patch which is essentially kind of like a fix a flat, but for your, your spine, they take blood from your arm 
and then they inject it into the area and then it congeals and the idea is that it 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 normalizes the pressure with the spinal fluid around your brain and so i had um i had that done uh they had to drain before they were able to do that they had to drain a a hematoma that was about a, the size of a softball is what the anesthesiologist told me. Um, and so it just was a really unpleasant experience. I'd say so. My goodness. They did worry about, uh, you know, cause I went, I did the, the postpartum depression screening while I was in the hospital. Um, obviously that I was still in tremendous amounts of pain. And so, um, they ended up sending, a um, the, the hospital social worker in to just kind of do an evaluation, make sure everything was okay, that I had support before they released me and let me go home. And of course I had incredible support. When I went home that first night, I was probably a dark night of a, of the soul kind of an experience for me. The blood patch had come loose. And so the pain was building all night. That was tremendously difficult for me mentally it was hard on my husband he wasn't sure what to do so it was just that was a hard night to get through um I did experience postpartum depression but it wasn't the same it, it, I think I truly believe it was more physically driven um my doctor said you know I had had some swelling on my brain and then I'd had you know I'd been beat up I had blood loss and so I was experiencing you know, genuine physical low, physically low. And so my doctor, um, he was just very encouraging. You know, he said, you know, they continued to check in on me. They spent a little more, more time and attention on me for about six weeks. During that time, I learned that I had to, I, I had to make my, my health, my priority again. I had to put myself first. I had to be willing to say, I, I had, I had to focus on the ability to say no. And so I let go of some clients that I really should have let go of a long time before that. And I just kind of started a, a process and I started a journey of, of vulnerability. My accountability partner continued with me. And then I ended up joining a women's group that I could be safe in that incorporated physical things that help mental things that help emotional. And so just somewhere I could be real, but I had my baby in January of 2019. And then by, by August, you know, there was, there was some disconnect between me and my husband, not, not fighting kind of a thing, but just some disconnect. There was some distance. Um, I felt like we were more of, you know, living parallel lives and that that was hard on me because my husband's my best friend and so there was it was hard on me but I also recognize looking back he was going through a challenge too cuz that it was hard on him to see me in a, in a such a low place and not know what to do you know men don't like to feel yeah. helpless mm-hmm. and so exactly yeah and so when i reached a place in august of um well, in July, uh, my sister offered to take me to the, to, on a trip with her. And I felt a lot of guilt leaving my six month old, but I, you know, my husband was very encouraging. He said, go, you know, you need it. You need to go. And so I went on this week long trip with her and it saved, like, I swear it saved my life. Like, and that's where putting yourself first is really important as a mom being willing to receive being willing to say, I need, and then have someone say, I can help. My accountability partner recommended me to a women's group. I attended the women's group for, you know, a few times. And then um, ultimately, I ended up having a breakdown. Like I had, I hadn't cried, really, that entire time. You know, I had just kind of focused on feeling better and whatever. And so I just had a breakdown. I just started crying. And I just started um I, I just admitted how sad I felt and how I didn't know if I'd ever feel normal in my body again. Cause I just felt like a stranger in a foreign land. It was very much like, I don't even, I don't even feel connected. I, I, I just felt so disconnected from my body. It was so different 
um, and I was having pain that I wasn't used to. I was noticing things about my body I wasn't used to. Um, and it was just very, it was challenging. Um, but through this women's group, I started to lay the foundations of health again, started adding in supplements, started adding in, my doctor had recommended physical therapy. And so I finally took him up on the physical therapy. My doctor had recommended several times to take a, an antidepressant to help just the chemistry of my brain normalize again after the swelling and all of that. And I was very stern with that because mm. I'm like, I'm not a depressed person. I'm a happy person. And it was very, I had a shame response with that. That was me. And so I finally reached a place where I recognized, you know, it's been a year. I don't feel any better in my head, you know? And so I, I did, I added the antidepressant in, we talked about options. And so now it's been, you know, since adding in all of those things, it's been a year of, of steadily adding in support, different kinds of support. And I'm feeling so much better. The blessing that she's brought into my life has been probably in a word boundaries, you know, learning, learning to have those boundaries in place that allow you to hold your priorities in order and that allow you to confidently walk forward without feeling like you have to apologize to anybody. And, you know, it's, it's just definitely a lot of growing opportunity has happened because of, because of my fourth baby um, and because of the physical breakdown. And then now the opportunity and the blessing to build things back up. I, I know more about my body now than I've ever known before. It's prompted me to learn a lot. And, and at all levels, that's what drove me to, to Tony Robbins. And so just taking that accountability and owning that responsibility for your own health and well-being on every level, you know, mentally, spiritually, and physically, and then feeling healthy and safe in that space. And then it also helped me to just kind of let everything else go off of my plate and prioritize my family. Um, the thing that I would say is if you need help, ask for it and don't be ashamed if that help that you need, that you need comes in the form of something that you previously viewed as a crutch. I would say to new moms, um, take the rope, take the rope. Right. You don't need to drown when there's so many things working against you. When you've got physical, when you've got financial, when you've got relational, and then you have, you know, a, a global pandemic and you have all these things, you can't get ahead. <laughs> you know, you can't, you start to gain traction in one area and then you get, you know, a wave comes over you from the other angle. And so when there's too many things from all facets coming at you, it's okay to take the rope. It's okay to ask for help. It's okay to be vulnerable. And, you know, health and gaining, well, I would say rebuilding and regaining your health comes through responsibility in the form of, of vulnerability. The vulnerability is an expression, in my opinion, of being responsible for yourself, of saying, this is me, this is how I feel, and I'm going to show up. A hundred percent. Oh, my goodness. Well, I am so grateful for your vulnerability and openness and I am so just blown away. I'm exhausted for you because I don't know how you went through all that. And I'm also simultaneously inspired because, you know, your story brings up so many important highlights and bullet points. A couple that I wrote down that I just want to circle back for those listening. Mm -hmm. Ask for second opinions. Mm -hmm. Find the right OBG and the right supportive doctor or... Mm -hmm if that's doula or midwife or whoever that is. Listen to your body. Yeah. Find your community asking for mm -hmm. the right help from the right people. I love mm -hmm. that idea of getting an accountability partner. It was someone who wasn't your birth yeah. partner, wasn't your mom, wasn't your you know sister. It was just an accountability partner. We do that for business. Yeah. Let's do mm -hmm. that for, for motherhood. Make health and you a priority yeah. and be willing to receive. I mean, those are yeah. things that we all need to just remember, but especially moms and future moms out there. My goodness, those are just, just huge takeaways. And 
thank you. Please pass along my thanks to your husband or whoever is with your kids right now, because let's remember you have four kids and you just spent this time with us. Um, it was my pleasure. Thank you for the opportunity. My goodness. For those moms who are listening, um, check out the show notes because there'll be a way that you can get in touch with Amy or myself. And I'll connect the two of you. If you'd like to share and connect, if you need the right person to talk to, I'm sure Amy would be willing to chat with you. And um, I'm, Man, I think I've I've um I've learned more in this interview than in, you know, a whole year. And it's wow. It's just really opened my eyes, I think, to a lot. Um and it I think it shows like I was thinking, you sh- you should write a book. You should take the trans take get this episode transcribed and there's like your first, I don't know how many, hundred <laughs> pages, fifty pages. Go for it. Just turn it into a book. You already have it started. I, <laughs> I mean, I get that a lot. So I might need to listen to that message and actually take action on it. Um, sometimes when we have things that are coming at us from multiple ways, you know, it's it's a signal. And yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think this episode is going to really touch a lot of women, and I hope that it does. And you never know, maybe maybe a book is in the road for you. Maybe. My last question for you before we settle up is. What is something that you would like to tell your four children now for when they're 18? And that's something that's a little interesting, especially considering mm-hmm. you had your first baby at 18. But just for, for them, what would you like to tell them now? Don't be afraid. Lean into it. You know, listen to the intuition and just don't, just don't be afraid. It was, it was in my heart to be start my motherhood journey at a young age and to start things at a young age. That's what my, that's where my heart led me, but wherever your heart leads you lean into it and don't be afraid. It all works out and everything, even the painful moments come with blessings and growth. I wouldn't trade any of the pain. Now a year ago, I wouldn't have said that. But today, mm-hmm. I wouldn't trade any of the pain I've been through. It, it has shaped, shaped me and molded me. And so lean into what scares you, especially lean into what scares you. Thank you, Amy. That's so beautiful. Go hug those four children, and thank you so much for sharing your time with us. I appreciate the opportunity. Thank you very much. The Pumping Podcast is a podcast for moms and by moms. And I am your host. I'm not yet a mama. I'm a mama in training. If you're enjoying what you hear, take a minute on Apple Podcasts to subscribe, rate, and make sure you review so other mamas out there can find us and listen along while they're pumping or breastfeeding. Some fun news for you. We have a private mama network for support and community of mamas. If you'd like to join, email info at thepumpingpodcast.com. Also, if you'd like to be a guest and share your journey into motherhood, email interviews at thepumpingpodcast.com. Follow us on Instagram at thepumpingpodcast. And for any other questions or to connect, check out thepumpingpodcast.com. Thank you so much for spending some of your day with me. You light me up and inspire me. And share the podcast with a mama or future mama you know. Until next time, keep on pumping.